Welcome to the podcast. It's Forge and Motor City Steel. It's the Redenbacher. I'm your captain, Matt Murphy, joined by Commander Ben Bullerwell. How's it hanging, home skillet? It is hanging well, kind of like those animals in the butcher and they hang to dry. But but like I'm not. Anyway, it's going well, Matt. How are you doing? Today? What you're saying is you're hooked. You're hooked like those corpses on the butcher rack and Giddy ready for a podcast. Not as literally hooked, but definitely like just as uh, I guess what is that metaphorically hooked? Yeah, for sure. Giddy for sure. No, I'm pumped to be back and talking about the Orville. It's been three weeks. Well, three weeks for you guys. We get these, uh, you know, we get these transmissions, you know, 400 years later or 80 years later. We haven't decided yet, but, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, we, we've had this episode ready to go and we're happy to talk about it. We are very happy to talk about it. What a hell of an episode. And yes, it is fantastic to be back, guys. We've missed you so much. And I, I hope in, in your hearts, you've missed us as well. I'm sure you have. We're receiving a transmission as I speak. That's right. We've received the transmission. It appears to be an episode called Sanctuary, directed by Jonathan Frakes, who many of you may know as Riker. Woo! And it's written by Joe Minoski. He's the guy that wrote Priya in uh, last season, which was a really cool episode. And he also wrote the episode Dormok in uh, The Next Generation. Yeah, he's um, he's quite a well-versed writer, from what I understand. I mean, both episodes are brilliant. Um, and goddamn, like Jonathan Frakes, thank you so much. Thank you for coming aboard. Um, what a hell of a job he's done. I'm not sure. Has he directed any other episodes of, of The Orville? I don't I think, think so. so. I'm, I'm pretty has sure he? he has, actually. And he's double-dipping. He's directing episodes of Star Trek Discovery, too. Good on him. No, it's cool. <laughs> it's cool that uh, you know these two shows have some connective tissue. It says on IMDb, he's directed two episodes, one from last season. I'm not sure which, it doesn't say, but either way, yeah, he, he's been around for a bit directing a couple episodes, and I'm sure he's going to direct more since this turned out great. This was a phenomenal episode. Uh, hats off. Hats off. <laughs> it, it it makes you think. It was uh, it was another deep episode, and it, it starts with uh, Admiral Halsey speaking with Ed, Bordis, and Kelly, telling them that the Mocklins are going to upgrade their weapons, and the Orville needs to pick up some a science delegation for Mocklis in exchange. So, you know, relationships is good with Mocklis. Uh, they have a lot of, not only good shields, but apparently their tech in general is like, really good, and we learned later on they supply them with all the weapons in general. So, of course, that's where you go for an upgrade. Mm-hmm. It seems as though that the Mocklins are kind of like um, winning like the tech race and the arms race. Um, um, later, Ed mentions that he's he's been thinking, like obviously he's proposed the idea that they shouldn't be getting all their weapons from one primary source. But um, he, he definitely has a point. No, it uh, makes sense. You don't want, like, especially like what appears to be the most closed-minded of your species and the most like likely to persecute based on false pretenses or, you know, or, or what have you. So mm-hmm. it seems like that is why they're such a pivotal member where like, yeah, they're super intolerant. However, they do kind of make sure we all don't die. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to make like a, a quick kind of like comparison here. Um, this might get added out. I don't know. Uh, if you, if you want to look at like North America's relationship with like Saudi Arabia, I would consider it very similar. Like we depend on them for natural resources very much. So um, they don't really hold the same beliefs that we do at all, like regarding women and like, um, like, you know, LGBTQ community and this and that. But they're very like we're very dependent on them on an economic kind of level, whereas it, it's the other way around, I guess. Um, there definitely yeah. are parallels. How like the U the UN kind of turns a blind eye to some things. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that's just like a quick little blippity blippity there. So. It helps with the world building when you realize why they hold the weapons and like things are not good with Mockless. Like as the show, you know, these prior however many episodes of the show we're at now, like thirty in total or so. I think it's like twenty. Four. But I think mm-hmm. that 
you know, you were thinking like I was thinking, wow, the Mocklins, things are great with them. I, I don't know how it works, but it just works. But no, it's not all great. And they could leave the union at, at a moment's notice, realistically, based on how things are. Yeah, it's a real it's a real eye opener, this episode. Like, um, you know, we thought things were quite stable between Mockless and Earth and and the rest of like the the parties of like the union. Um, but now we're realizing that it's a very teeter tottery kind of relationship. Like it's not held on by much, really. No, for sure. So Ed goes over the upgrades that uh, the Mocklins put to their weapons. And uh, the upgrades offer 30% power upgrade for the plasma cannons and 20% upgrade to torpedo capacity. So that's, you know, that's no uh, small fish there. Yeah, that's a pretty huge fish. Um, That's like, I'm trying to think of like some kind of mythical or like, (laughs) I don't know. It's a big fish, guys. It's It's like catching Shabu Jabu there. Uh, Great (laughs) If you know who Jabu Jabu is, uh, we, we love you. We love you. We love you a long time. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Tala gets a call, and uh, she has to help uh, show uh, Torin and Korok around. These are our two new main Mocklins that we see in this episode, uh, at least early on. And they appear suspicious, I assume, by, by design. I think everyone kind of thought they were hiding something. On Reddit, the question was asked, uh, what do you guys think the Mocklins are hiding? Because the description for this episode said that the Mocklins, uh, they find that the Mocklins aboard have something suspicious. So I said that I think it's a refugee. I think the Mocklins might have a refugee aboard or are hiding a refugee, which is pretty darn close to what we had. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially, yeah, like a refugee, like pretty damn close. And they go to be, you know, part of a, a colony or whatever, which is basically what they are refugees who can't live in their place without being persecuted. So I'll uh, I'll give myself a tick on that column there. Yeah, I'd like to give a little applaud. A Thank nice you. one there. That was a good Thank one. Wasn't a hundred percent, but it was within the you know that direction. It was definitely like in the same ballpark. What did you think that they had in the case? Honestly, I was like, I was just baffled. I, I didn't know. I okay, this is actually way out of line, but this is what I kind of thought. Like when I saw like the episode begin, and they're like, if we're discovered, blah 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 blah. Like they're acting incredibly suspicious. Like they request to be left alone for the majority. Um, I either thought I thought one of two things. I thought it could have been, like, some kind of weapon. Like, I had, like, an anxiety about that. But originally, I I almost thought that it was an impersonation, that they weren't genuine Mocklins, and that something, like, very bad was going to happen. No, that's Um, not crazy. I had a similar thought. Uh, When they were first talking, when they opened the briefcase, it was like, maybe they're Krill undercover. Like, they they could transform into humans. So there was some, like, weird kind of, um, yeah. I I just thought it was going to be, like, a whole facade like I, I didn't even think that they were genuinely mocklin for the first bit although why would the krill invade since they have a peace treaty or whatever i think that it could have been like radical krills that think that this isn't the will of avis or whatever and would try to like jeopardize the whole thing absolutely and we've seen what they're able to do in like the terms of like body modification like what we saw with like talia and everything like yeah yeah you know or talia sorry yeah um miss you girl anyway <laughs> well no we got two new t names in the same episode we got talia and tala in the same episode so yeah it's, it's hard to not to jumble this up but no i think that's a cool theory and that episode would have been pretty cool too that would have taken us in the cool worlds where you could have like a secret invasion where the krill like act like all the other species and act like they're okay with going to war doing things against their own motives yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. Gears were turning in my head. Um, apparently not like the right gears, but gears nonetheless. No, but it's cool to speculate and to think, but uh, I'm totally f- happy with the episode that we ended up getting because it was it was a cool story. So uh, they do appear to be suspicious. Uh, we cut to commercial after they look into the case. It's like that classic like Pulp Fiction, ooh, what's in the briefcase moment, you know, <laughs> where you're like, looking at the glowing uh, goodness there. Uh, we cut later to see... Uh, 
see Topa in school and he's playing with a young girl and is being quite rude to her. He like steals some blocks from her or whatever. And uh, the teacher that's played by uh, Marina Sturtis interrupts. This is a cool dynamic. I didn't really consider it, but Boris and Clyden have uh, diametrically opposed views and they're both raising a child. So that would be conflicted. Usually, you know, this is safe for like divorced households where two parents have different views, but they're still together despite uh, never seeing eye to eye as it seems. So it's it's interesting to see the, the, uh, the effect this has on Topa. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, yeah, it's just pretty crazy because they, they do share very different beliefs and like Bordas's time spent on like the Union ship. Obviously, this has really opened his eyes to a lot of things and he's becoming more open minded and less um, like involved in his cultural beliefs. And he's kind of seeing what he accepts as like, you know, the truth of the matter, especially after um, the Gilliac thing where his people lock up people based on something they can, can't control. And that happened to him. He was locked up based on, oh, uh, something about birthday month. That seemed kind of silly. Oh, you're going to kill me. So he could have a different lens to look at the Mocklin traditions. Absolutely. That's a very, very good point. Being subjected to this kind of ridicule and this kind of abuse and the segregation. Um, like after after being exposed to that and. Like, that would have to change your ideologies on certain things, like being either, the one on the receiving end rather than the, the giving end, I'm going to refer to it as. It would either make him open his eyes or make him be further abusive and, like, f- further his view of, like, okay, well, you know, we, we're we right, they're wrong kind of deal. Yeah, I guess it could go one of two ways, but hopefully, you know. <laughs> no, for sure. So, yeah, the teacher calls uh, Bordas and Clyden into her office and they, they discuss the issue. And Clyden says, oh, why don't you just segregate them? Why don't you just separate the, the boys and the girls? And uh, that's so ridiculous. You cannot, like, you can't change the whole way society runs just for, like, one person's belief. That's just my view. We're like, I don't think we should seg- we should separate people. I think we should all be together and learn together. Because you can't just separate them from society in general. Like, the, Topa will have to learn how to be around males. Or females, I mean, at some point. Yeah, no, absolutely. The whole, like, segregation concept, that's very, very Mocklin. Um, <laughs> but, like, Clyden fails to really appreciate, like, the reality of the situation. Um, Topa is one of, well, in this class, it wasn't very many. It was probably, like, you know, what, 16 students or something like that. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, to suggest that they kind of instate something to to really benefit one individual um and kind of i guess allow for that intolerance and and kind of bigotry uh to exist within their class is asking a lot when Clyden is the one who is a guest on their ship and should be conforming to their not necessarily conforming i'm sorry but he should be more sensitive to their cultural norms and you know it should kind of be his place to fit in a little bit better and try and but he's he's very close-minded about that. Um. Yeah, yeah. Clyden gets put on blast, rightfully so, in a lot of this episode, and and they finally, you know, rip off the bandaid. I find where like Bordis later on just says like, "You're not even learning anything from these people. The way you treat women, you hide in your in in your room there. It really opened my eyes to the whole situation. That's much bigger than I realized. It's actually very true. Like when that brief conversation happened between, um, I guess Kelly Bordis and partially Clyden. I say partially because, well, you know what happened. But anyway, um, it, it really, yeah, it shone like a very disturbing light on Clyden's actual beliefs. Um, and it explained a lot of his unusual behavior. Yeah, and uh, I think it's ready for this week's Redenbacher Theater segment. Uh, do you want to be Boris or Clyden? <laughs> uh, you pick. 
<laughs> All right, I'll, I'll go Clyde, and I'll bite the bullet. Uh... <laughs> Topa leaves the room, and then an argument erupts between Boris and Clyde. You do not make things easy. I'm simply teaching our son traditional values on which we ourselves were raised. Clyden, has your time on this ship not changed your perspective in any way? It has obviously changed yours. What harm can come from allowing him to discover his own path? Topa may decide he wants to live on Mokhlis one day. In that event, we must tell him the truth of his origins. What happened to you must... What happened to me did not shatter my faith in our ways. Perhaps when Topa is grown, Mokhlis will not be so intolerant. Who are you to question our core beliefs? You are only one Mokhlin. What makes the rest of our society wrong and your perverse vision right? If it were up to you, our son would still be female. I am sorry. It is not my wish to hurt you. So I assume that the um, what happened to you did not shatter uh, my faith in our ways or what happened to me. That Did Clyden get the sex change as a kid? I assume he mm. did. Uh, I actually didn't think of that. I thought he meant more about, like, Topa, and, like, you know, just because Topa was born female, like, he isn't gonna, like, soften up, and, oh, okay. like, d- like kind of betray his, his belief system. Like, that's, you know, why he was so persistent to have, like, the corrective surgery done. That that was my take from it. Okay, yeah, I'm not entirely... It's up in the air for that. I haven't gone back and rewatched that episode. We're gonna talk about that episode over the summer, so we'll clarify it, and, uh, you know... Uh, get that in our heads i also missed the part where um i forgot that uh, later the character that we we see the uh Mocklin female uh harina or whatever her name is uh she was in that episode too that i'm talking about so that'd be interesting i didn't remember her i didn't remember her either when she said like captain you have a way of finding me and like whatever yeah. i was just like wait what like <laughs> yeah havina is her name yeah yeah it was it was weird but uh it's all it, you know it, it's all good <laughs> yeah no it's giddy up whatever so after this huge fight, the calm interrupts, and Ed tells Bordas that Isaac has detected a power fluctuation on Deck C, which is where the Mocklins are staying, and then he goes to investigate. Mm-hmm. So after being asked about the uh, the power use, uh, Torin replies, the food, sen- uh, sorry, the food synthesizer was set to a reduced precision. My dinner was not flavorful enough, so I, dis- I decided to increase the molecular resolution. I was not aware that I needed permission. Yeah, I think it's that's really interesting that they have to have like a molecular re- resolution to determine the quality of the food. Like that's a cool little little uh, tidbit there. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's a really cool snippet of information. I mean, if you want to kind of think of it as like a 3D printer, I know like the resolution on a 3D printer is dependent on like at what like um, width and whatever like the filament comes out at. Um, kind of picture it as like a cake decorating item. You know, you oh. get all the icing in it, you squeeze, and like yeah. the more narrow the tip is, with the smaller of a hole is like the increased precision of how accurately it can print something. To to make the analogy between a, a cake decorating kind of bag and the thing, the 3D printer. So it's kind of interesting if you look at it that way, because like uh, if you've ever seen like a 3D printer that's kind of cheap, it has like a very like big, a larger nozzle, and when you can kind of see like where the print rotation went around. Um, and I can just picture the food looking like really like shitty somehow. <laughs> no, that's that's cool. I like that they're trying to lie and get their way out of it. I thought that was a cool little lie. It's like, well, you know, the food didn't taste quite right. It's not used to our standards. Which the Mocklins, like, they don't care what they eat anyway. So I don't know why that's even a good lie, actually. <laughs> don't they just, yeah. they're like garbage disposal, but whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, it is really neat. Um, so after after that little deception doesn't really happen, uh, Borda scans the room. He gets walking around, and then he finds the case. 
Um, oh, 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 buddy. We open up the case. We find out it's a Mocklin child. That's right. It's no Dolly. It's a real child. Uh, that <laughs> might, may, may or may not be a reference to a, a certain singer we might see later on. But what was really cool is I found on the Orville Wiki that the female Mocklin baby, Mercer, was actually a prop made by uh, prop master Brian Rogers. So, like, it's not like a baby or a CGI kind of thing that they, you know, they didn't put a costume on a baby or CGI something. That's a legit, a legit just prop, and it looks fantastic. It does. It looks magnificent, actually. It, it looks living, even though you don't like see the baby breathing. It's in stasis or whatever, which is actually the perfect, uh, the perfect excuse to use a prop. And it turned out great. Yeah, no, it was, it was so like hyper realistic. It was scary. Shout out to Brian Rogers. Uh, these kind of props just help make the world feel more real, and it's great. Yeah, bro. Props to Brian for his great props. Yeah, exactly. The prop master. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Board is asked why they're hiding a child, and Terrence says that they're fleeing Mockless and they want to protect their daughter. So it's not just a regular, or not right, well, what Mocklins call a regular child, which is male. It's a female, which puts her at risk of everything. She could be changed into something that's against her will, or killed, or, or anything. Absolutely. Um so it turns out that they actually knew that the, of the trial. Like, obviously, it probably would have been a pretty big one back on Mockless. But nonetheless, yeah. uh, they do know of the trial that um, Bordis went through. Um, and they kind of confide in him. They think that since what he's been through, he would be more likely to keep their secret safe, right? Yeah, um, checks out. Which is actually the case. Um, but they tell Bordis that they almost made their escape. All Bordis really needs to do is just keep his mouth shut. And Bordis does decide to cover for them. Yeah, which is cool. One of the few times we see Bordis do the morally right thing, and he does get caught for it later on. When yeah, I, was I was super proud of him, though. Yeah, yeah, no, he did the right thing. He's slowly changing his ways. But uh, I was wondering, what, after thinking about this episode, like, does Bordis have a first or last name, or is it just Bordis? Bordis like of Mocklin. Like... Yeah, yeah. Steve Bordis? I don't know. <laughs> Steve Bordis. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, so this was this was a nice moment where uh, Bordis goes to class and, and uh, goes to Topa's class and takes him out for the day, and then he takes Topa to see the baby, uh, the baby Mocklin. He takes her to see uh, Mursa, and just to see, hey, you know what? This to open his eyes, like it's not just you, buddy. There's uh, there's females in our species. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, I'm kind of like like. Topa doesn't know that he underwent corrective surgery, does he? No. No, no. I think that's going to be a big twist that they reveal later on in the series or something. Right. Um, what like, a, I think what a duality that would be to find that out after treating women so bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> you are a woman. No, but uh, <laughs> but uh, or you were born a woman or whatever. But uh, with uh, with I think that'll be a big fight. Like when Clyden and Bordis, when they finally do split up, I think that'll be the fight. They'll just reveal like Topa is a woman. He might overhear them and like walk into the room. You know, I go, was like damn surprised that he didn't overhear it when they were shouting in the in the quarters. Yeah, like, when they're like like Topa, go to your room, and it's like your son's like was born a woman or whatever, and it's yeah. like holy sh- man, don't yell that loud. Like kids gonna find out real quick. Yeah, it's one thing you can tell him the tooth fairy's not real, but I think this is going to be a real game changer here when he finds this out. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's cool. Like, Mocklin culture to me is just like, it's like a, just a shit show. Like, it's like the more you peel away, it's like, oh my God, this is trouble. It's it's so much trouble. Like, it's like, okay, they're doing gender, doing gender surgery, killing the other gender. It's just, oh. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, I would agree that, like, the whole, like, Mocklin conundrum that we're facing now 
Um, it, it's like I'd make the analogy to like a rotten piece of fruit or something. You know, you keep cutting little bits away, you just keep finding more mold, and you're like, I just got to get rid of this shit. Yeah, to try to find like the core that might be nutrient rich and fresh, but uh, get those apple seeds out and plant some new life. But I mean, the the way that they do try to justify it is like the Mocklins have a harsh world on Mocklins, and they their culture is what united them. However, I mean, maybe you can you know make some changes to the culture a little bit to allow. Yeah, people to now that you guys are like the biggest arms dealer in like the galaxy, I, th- yeah. I think hard times are pretty much over. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I like this little teaching moment where Bordis is trying to say, "Hey, Topa, look, there there are females here, and uh, it's more common than you might think. You know, if you did, if you knew they existed at all in this species, but hey." You know, once in a while. And then later on, uh, Havina tells us that there's way more uh, women uh, born and born uh, to the Mocklins than, than the government wants to tell them. Absolutely. It's like a whole conspiracy thing. Um, just, you know, they want to make it seem like it's a very infrequent and, and kind of unnatural thing. Um, when in actuality, it's just, you know, it interferes with their belief system and they don't want to accept it. For Topa, it's like finding out aliens exist. We're like, what? Another gender? What? And you are one, Topa. Like, yeah. doesn't even know. shit, yo. That's gonna be heavy, right? When that when that all unfolds. Oh man, it's gonna be el shit show. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's cool when they when they revealed the baby's name was Mersa. I thought it was like a reference to Ed Mercer or something like that. Like maybe Havina told the story to them and they named the baby Mersa. But uh, you never know. I, I I doubt it. But that's what I thought. It's a pretty name, and uh, you know, it's not terribly unlikely that your your like um, little hypothesis there is. It's, it's probably right. It's, it could possible. be right. I, I doubt Fuck, it. We'll I, find I out. Yeah. So Boris and Tyler escort uh, Taryn and Cork to their shuttle, and you know something bad is going to happen because the whole episode does not get resolved in 17 minutes. Like, you know something else had to go down with these guys. <laughs> I know. And this was happening. I was like, wait a minute. So what's B-plot? Like, and why do they divide it in, like, half? <laughs> yeah. So it, it was – I knew something was up. It doesn't get resolved that easily. It, it, they always – they were throwing you off this episode quite a bit. You're like, okay, what are these two Mocklin up to? Oh, they're actually good people, you know. And, uh, oh, this, uh, we got resolved already? No, not the case. Not uh, bloody likely. No. Uh, later on, Ed calls Borders to his office, and he's confronted by Ed, Kelly, Tala, and Dr. Finn, as well as Topa and Clyden who were there. And it was – it's almost like um, – what's the word there? Um intervention there when they get people off drugs i was like this is not good when everyone's there looking at you with the serious face <laughs> like not good no 100 percent um yeah in that moment you know just like that's that's end game right there about this whole situation and i mean come and there's on, no avengers Topa. to save you topa's all like oh i didn't mean to daddy but it's like come on and as a child like it's hard to lie like you like a child even thinking about lying with like drop hints that a parent could easily pick up on and find it immediately and yeah. Especially when you find out there's like a whole other thing of your species you didn't even realize, like a whole other aspect. I don't think there's any way that uh, Clyden wouldn't sniff that out. It's pre- yeah, it would be pretty overwhelming. And, and you're right. Like, what? how old's Topa? Probably like six years old, eight years old, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, these these are the kind of years they just blab about everything. Not to mention, we know that Clyden doesn't leave the leave his room that often, leave their headquarters, their, their little uh, home. So that means that uh, he's spending less time with other people and more time to focus on Topa and to mold him with his own uh, hardened views. Yeah, absolutely. Um Yeah, no, I, I guess you're absolutely right. Like um Topa probably doesn't spend a lot of time with like other children his age outside of school. Um he's yeah, he's mostly being molded by Clyden's um kind of conventional uh like traditional cultural views and everything and yeah. he, he's kind of yeah, 
not really having a fair chance. Well, it's probably a racial superiority thing because all the stories that Clyde's telling about Mocklin, and he doesn't see any other Mocklin, so he's like, I'm better than everyone else. Must be if we have these views that no one else is following. It, it really takes it to some dangerous places. Yeah, absolutely. I believe like that's how like extremists might be born. <laughs> like, yeah, and uh, we don't need any of those. No, so, sir. So Ed reveals that he knows about the secret passenger and asks Bordis why he hid them, uh, hid the hid it from the crew. And Bordis says that he didn't know how the crew would react, and he just wanted the girl to be free on Retepsia. Uh, yeah, the um, Torin and Korak told Bordis that they were just going to Retepsia, which we later find out they aren't. Retepsia, of course, is Drulio's home planet. So whoop whoop, we see we hear Retepsia and see some Retepsians later on as well. Oh boy. Yeah. So at this point, Kelly asks Bordis like how he knows that they're telling the truth. Um, which like is actually a good question. I didn't actually consider it until that actually happened. That scene happened. I was like, of course they're good people. What do you mean? Uh, and Dr. Fett even says like, we could run a DNA test. They could not even be the parents of this child. And the crew does have some like reasonable responses. Tal is suspicious as well as any good security officer would be. And the crew decide to plan an intercept course for the ship to verify their story. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking of this episode later on. It's like, I wonder what the Mocklins think about abortion. Probably nothing good. I doubt they're pro-abortion over there on Mocklins. <laughs> Although yeah. they stab each other in the chest. So that they might actually be okay with like with that over some other stuff based on their weird culture. Yeah, I feel like there might be like a thing about um well kind of like, you know, like the strong must survive and like the weak kind of just die kind of thing. I feel like they'd have some weird thing like that. So maybe they would be like um, pro-abortion in, in certain instances with like birth defects and things like that. I bet that. if you could tell it's a child, if you can uh, tell the gender, it's like, oh, it looks female. Do you want to schedule your abortion for next week, probably, or whatever? Do you want so the abortion, it, or are we going to do reconstructive surgery? Yeah, it's some uh, you know rough subject matter to joke about, but you know it's probably close to how they would view the situation. Yeah, I mean, we are speaking about this kind of lightheartedly. Um, I mean, it is like a pretty serious thing, but I mean. Yeah, like Matt said, I, I think this is not far from accurate by any means of what the Mocklins would think of something like that. Yeah, so they try to track the uh, the shuttle, and they find that the the, uh, the ion trail can't be can't be tracked at all. Um, Gordon tells this fantastic story that relates to this situation, and Gordon says, "Okay, this one time at Union Point, my roommate and I took a shuttle out, and we turned it into like a party bus, and we used the tractor beam to neut- neutralize our ion trail." That goes, they didn't catch you? And Gordon goes, well, we plowed into a tree when we landed, and that's that's when they caught up to us. But before that, we were completely invisible. So on, they, they use this method based on Gordon's drunken exploits and hiding. So, like, Gordon, what I like about Gordon is, like, he's smart, but he's, like, he's clever. Like, he doesn't use his intelligence all the time. He's kind of, like, a cool guy, but also knows how to have a good time and uses his mind for those matters more so than other applications yeah no absolutely uh he's a very intelligent man he kind of is happy-go-lucky and kind of silly but yeah he he's cut experience and it doesn't really matter where he got his experience whether it's you know kind of illegal or not uh he's an experienced guy um i couldn't help but think of like when he said this i couldn't help but think of like harry potter when they crash into like the the weeping willow tree or whatever (laughs) i was just like god damn you know they like take the dad's car and start flying around they're having a good time blah 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 and the Anyway, that's my Harry Potter reference for today. Thank whoop, you. Whoop. Uh, and I'll think of a Shrek one well, uh, <laughs> for later on. We're counting but, on. <laughs> so, yeah, we find out that they're not going to Retepsia at all. And uh, Ed tells Gordon to set a pursuit course. This is uh, this is where the uh, the visual storytelling of this episode is fantastic. Well, not visual storytelling, but just that nebula looked beautiful that we later go into. Oh, my God. It looks like a cotton candy daydream. I love it. 
I love that this is what we can see like on a TV show. Like I know a lot of work goes into it, but holy geez, does it ever look great? Yeah, like absolutely phenomenal effects, like beautiful. Like and um, so it's like a. Uh, like a K size star system or a K class star system. There's like uh, I think it's a sun and like three planets or something like that. Uh, rather, and there's only one hospitable planet. It's almost like a like a mini version of our solar system here in the Milky Way galaxy. And I thought this was cool. And I like how the planet was similar to Earth. It was eighty percent water or close to that with islands. Yeah, it was super cool. I really loved like not only like the visual um, treat that we got to enjoy. Um, but yeah, it's really neat. They had like the white, st- I think it was a white something star they called it, in the middle. You know, they're little planets. And then, yeah, just like, you know, little planet, whatever. Well, quite large planet, actually. But like, yeah, it did have a lot of parallels to Earth. And yeah, it's interesting. Good connection. No, yeah, I, I, I love this whole little sequence. It, I got Futurama vibes, honestly, when they're going into the thing and collecting the little particles. And they, I think it must have been a, a nebula as well. I, I just love it. And uh, I hope that... Uh, it gets to see more days than Futurama saw on Fox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, so uh, we see this planet and we uh, detect the Mocklin shuttle on the surface. And Ed, Kelly, Tall, and Bordis waste no time and they head down, which was pretty crazy because you don't know what is down there. And uh, they walk off the shuttle and then all of a sudden they're surrounded by Mocklin females and their arms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, pretty scary stuff there. Like, honestly, like when you think about it, they said there's thousands of bio signs and they're all Mocklin. And it's like, all right, let's go. Like, yeah, well, later they tell us that there's 6,000 women in this colony, well, female, and I'm sure there's, like, a couple guys that stop by to, you know, drop off their kids and stuff and <laughs> and, and hope that, uh, you know, they don't get killed on the way back. But, uh, no, this this was uh, this was cool stuff. It's almost like they're Amazons now living in the forest. It's, I like this. It's cool vibes. Yeah, it is cool vibes. Um, so, yeah, the four get test, uh, they get escorted to the leader, um, and we get a glimpse of Torrin and Cork there, looking pretty happy. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, we, we see that their leader is uh, Hivina. Is that how you pronounce her name? Hivina. Hivina is fine. Yeah. All right. Um, so she's actually, like, a quite well-known uh, Mocklin author who first appeared in episode three. So that's what episode she's from there. Yeah, I think she spoke out in the, in defense of keeping Topa female. So she tried to stand up to make sure the Topa would remain unaltered unless he made that choice when he's older. But or and she's older, but uh, unfortunately it didn't quite stick. But uh, Havina has uh, decided to try a new uh, method of freeing oppressed Mocklins, and she's got this little uh, society, this colony here, which is great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's actually super cool and very brave. Um, yeah, so she reveals that there are more female Mocklins born on Mock than the government will actually ever admit. Um, we mentioned this uh, earlier on. Um, and we also mentioned this, uh, but there's about 6,000 in her colony. That's, um, like, I think before they were saying, what was it? One in like a million or something like that, like some huge stat. But, uh, if we have 6,000 people who, who fleed Mockless, just the ones um, that got away. Yeah, exactly. Cause you think about how many, probably a high majority would, would undergo the, the surgery. I don't know the population of, uh, Mockless either. No, I know that's a, I'd like to know that zone. at some point. But it, it's cool to see, and this is interesting. It's like a it's like a galactic underground railroad, and it's cool the way that they're managing to find freedom and find a, a place of uh, unity, uh, despite the Mocklins, you know, hard like radical views. Yeah, it's actually a really good comparison to the underground railroad. There, I kind of was getting those vibes when like Bordis decided to agree to help them and everything. Mm. Brave stuff, good stuff. Yeah, so they discuss what to do, and uh, Havina says that uh, 
your ship, the Orville, has 300 people aboard. Aboard, Those are 300 people that can go around and, and tell these stories, which, uh, not the crap on Star Trek Discovery, but Star Trek Discovery, they have a spore drive. And I'm like, how is no one going to tell any about anybody about this? And this will never be told to anybody. Like, even Pike knows about the spore drive, and they just never told anybody ever. That never got out. That's, yeah, because that... the spore drive itself violates the Prime Directive, does it not? Like, it's, it's yeah. using, like, a sentient being as, like, pretty much a means of transportation. Yeah, but b- beyond that, just that nobody talked about it. That secret would get out. So I like how they addressed it and said in the orbital, like, okay, we have to address this now. The colony will no longer be secret. Like, they just accept right now that there's no way this will be secret anymore. It's done. No, it's true. When you get that many people um, and are told about something, like, you know, you're going to say, like, oh, I wouldn't tell anyone. But you're definitely going to tell, like, at least a couple people. And that's just going to kind of domino effect onto, like, yeah, yeah, the gig's up. Like, they got to do something. Many, yeah, a lot of common sense people were probably watching going like, oh, well, you can't hide this. And of course, the show's like, yeah, you can't hide this. So we're going to have to, you know, we're gonna uh, have to figure it out now. We're going to have great. to apply for whatever, uh, apply for um, to be recognized as its own state. That's what uh, that's what Ed offers. So Ed says, uh, you know, I could go to the Union Central and submit an application for recognition as an independent state. If the Union agrees, I mean, his people is going to be un- will be under that their protection, which Makes perfect sense. So uh, the rest of the episode, we kind of see that hearing and the fallout. Mm-hmm. Um, Havina has a good little quote there. She goes, every revolution begins with a single act of defiance. Pretty cool. I, I thought that that might have been something that like Ed said to her in the first episode. She was quoting it because then someone goes, uh, oh, was that one of your the things you wrote? And she goes, oh, no, I heard it from somewhere else or something. And they, he like smiles at her. I wasn't sure. Hmm, yeah, interesting. You, you might be right, actually, mate. We'll get back to you guys on a rewatch. We'll probably, uh, well, you know, we'll uh, earmark that and we'll get back to it. Later on, uh, we see Admiral Halsey speaking to Ed and he, he says that the, the request for the hearing has been approved, but the Mockland delegation is up in arms. They want to know where the women are, where they're hiding. They would be like, you know, like a dog if they found out that there's like a whole like uh, block full of cats somewhere. Like, okay, where are they? Where are they hiding? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Um and it's it's like a huge, huge, huge secret to just be like oh, revealed yeah. and then like the Mocklins to be made. I mean, they do have every right to be notified, but holy cow, they are ready to. They're ready yeah, to got, act like right now. Th- this was uh, this was wild, and and Kelly gives Ed uh, a nice little pep talk and says she'll have a you know a drink waiting for him, and then uh, we see Ed and uh, Habina in the shuttle heading towards Earth. And th- this was my favorite part of the episode here. We, it's revealed that um, all the shuttles have like a data bank of like all of Earth's history, and I assume other union union uh, species. And this is where he she scrolls through, and then she discovers Dolly Parton, and it's everything she could have ever wanted, and more potentially. <laughs> yeah, uh, we hear her play Nine to Five, which is you know a, a classic, which will be stuck in my head. And then uh, afterwards, Havina says. Uh, she speaks with the might of a hundred soldiers. And Ed goes, yeah, I guess she does. And then Avina says, this is the voice of our revolution. And then Ed goes, okay, then go Dolly. And I love that, like, <laughs> that boyish grin he has of like, yeah, Dolly, woo. And he's like, you know, we have other leaders here. And she's like, no, 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 I picked it, Dolly. You know, <laughs> it's like when you take your, your kid to the the pet store and they're like, oh, I want that when they have like a dog that's like covered in fleas and stuff like that. <laughs> not, not saying Dolly Parton is that, but I'm saying like, there might be other people that are better to lead revolutions under, but... I, I could be I think I might actually be wrong there. I don't know. It's a tricky one. Um, yeah, it's just funny because she's so set on Dolly Parton. Like as soon as it happens, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, like we do have like a lot of other great like female figures. Blah, 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 blah. No, like Dolly Parton. No, Dolly Parton. Uh, what's, what's funny is like 
I swear, like I the day before, like this episode aired, like Thursday, the day of airing, actually, I was in the shower and this song was stuck in my head. I'm not joking. Like I was actually singing this thing in my head. I didn't know all the lyrics, but uh, it was stuck in my head. And I think it might have been because uh, this they did a similar sequence in Deadpool too. Um, Tom Constantino addressed this on Twitter. He's the editor on the Orville, and uh, apparently, like Deadpool two, well, not apparently, Deadpool two opens up with their first action scene. They do it to a Dolly Parton song. This specific one. So both of these shows were in production at the same time and no one kind of, uh, you know, no one knew about it because it was being, they were being done independently. And then uh, they knew this question would come and they couldn't change it in post-production because there's too much done already. So, yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Good stuff. Yeah, it's just parallel thinking. Some people do have these ideas at the same time and I'm not mad at two Dolly Parton montages as people are getting their ass kicked. I think that's fantastic. No, it's great actually. But I do want to speak to also, this is my time to reveal my superpower. As a child, I've realized that I've got this weird uncanny ability where sometimes I'll think of a TV show and it'll later be on that day. Like, not, not a specific TV show, like an, a quote from an episode and it'll be in that, it'll show up. Like, I remember as a kid, I uh, was thinking of the um, the Simpsons episode. Uh, it was a Trees of Horror one where uh, he's like, oh, yes, we make frozen yogurt. We call it Froget. And that was stuck in my head, that line. And then that's from like Trees of Horror 2 or 3. And I went inside that day, later that day, and I saw the episode was on. And this is weird because it wasn't even like Halloween when that those episodes are playing. So there you go. Hmm. There's your small bit of trivia. Uh, there you go. <laughs> now it's not a real superpower, but I do feel like that has happened. I don't know if I've watched so much TV that like the uh, it's like interfered with my brain waves, and I can like receive it before it appears on the box. Or <laughs> but uh, more uh, more post. If I die of like some like brain illness, uh, you know, get the get them to look into that. You're like television psychic or something. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I've absorbed the electromagnetism and uh, it's you know, become my own. Forget the TV guide. Go ask Matt what's on television later tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be my superhero name. It's TV Guide. It's, it's TV office. Guide, Matt. I'm, I'm gonna guide you on where you can go to get your ass kicked. Nine <laughs> nine on TBS. No. <laughs> <laughs> no that's, that, that's good. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, thanks to Tom Constantino for clearing that up. And hopefully by us saying this on the podcast, that's a couple less viewers that'll be asking that question because I'm sure he's answered it a few times. Oh, yeah, he's probably been he's probably been hounded for that one a little bit. Yeah, so <laughs> we get to Earth and uh, we see the hearing. And it's great. We see a ton of species, new and old. Uh, we see the Rotepsians, the first that aren't actually Derulio, which is cool. Yeah, no, it is nice. Uh... Maybe not all, you know, receptions are... No, they probably... Anyway, they probably I think it's natural for them to do that. Which I wouldn't want to take all the women to Retepsia, because I think uh, we can put one and one together and figure out what's going to happen with it, it those Retepsia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll have, uh, you know... Uh, it won't be good. What's cool is the uh, the chairman is played by F. Uh, Murray Abraham, who has played an alien in uh, Star Trek Insurrection. So that's cool. There you go, guys. Um... Yeah, neat little fact. I love how many people from the Star Trek universe are like like involved in the Orville at some capacity. It's so nice. Like, oh my god. <laughs> They're almost like people that have left Star Trek under the CBS umbrella, like the female Mocklins, and have fleed to, <laughs> to a safe haven, to a sanctuary. But yeah, I like that. I like these analogies. And you know what? I hope the best for Discovery in the future. I'd love nothing more than if that Picard show just blew everyone's minds and was amazing. I hope it is. Yeah, I'm anticipating Picard's new series like, oh my god, man, I cannot wait. Like, that is something, not not to harp on Discovery, but that is something I'll actually watch. Like, I'm very excited for. Hoping it's good. Hope to see some cameos. Wouldn't like, wouldn't mind seeing, like, old Klingon Wharf there, you know. 
smoking a cigar or something. But we'll oh, see. <laughs> getting addicted to cigs. Yeah. Five hundred yeah. cigarettes. <laughs> well, like I could just see Star Trek Discovery going, oh, Warp's addicted, or or any Star Trek like, oh, I can see Warp's addicted to cigarettes. Five hundred and one cigarettes. Like just to <laughs> just the one, just the one up them. Just by a tinge, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the Mocklins, uh, it's announced that they're going to hear from Havina at the council at the hearing, and the Mocklins are having none of it. They raise an uproar, and Halsey just says, like, hey, you'll get your chance to speak after this. Uh, Havina gives, like, a great speech. We're not going uh, to repeat the whole speech, but about halfway through, she gets serious and says, uh, there's a visionary Earth poet who I recently come to cherish. And it goes, oh boy, and Halsey says, what? And, and she says, with power and dignity, she boldly cried out so that all the cosmos would know of her suffering. Working nine to five for a service and devotion, you would think that I would deserve a fat promotion. Want to move ahead, but the boss won't seem to let me. I swear sometimes that man is out to get me. In the spirit of her courage, please hear our voices. Thank you. I love when this show takes like lines like that and can connect it, whether it's a Sally Fields Oscar speech or this, where it's just, I swear sometimes the man is out to get me. I don't think, uh, you know, it's sometimes. I think that this is a case where the man, whether it be a male figure or just a figure of power, they are out to get you. In this instance, absolutely, like 110%. Um, and you know what? As funny as it is to hear Dolly Parton in kind of like a very serious situation, yeah. like, damn, it's if it's not fitting, like, Someone tell me. I, I think it's beautiful. It's perfect. It reminds me of like in Guardians of the Galaxy. I know you're not uh, into that, but uh, there's like they're from Earth, but there was a guy who was like raised on Earth, but then like uh, grew up in space basically. And uh, so he tells them all of these like 80s icons and stuff. So they're like, oh, we're one of the Avengers. It's like, oh, is uh, are you one? Is that like Kevin Bacon? Is he one of the Avengers? They thought it was like Kevin Bacon. So uh, it's kind of like it's like that where like these figures have these big impact throughout the uh, you know the magnitude of space. So you have like Dolly Parton. If anybody were to see this, like us on the Redenbacher here, we would definitely think that she is like a war hero and her voice was heard through the cosmos and brought unity and was like a feminist icon. And women rose up and overcame because of Dolly Parton. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely true, man. Like, it's definitely true. And, you know, Dolly Parton is great. And what's great is that they all did their Dolly part in this revolution. Everyone has their part to play. <laughs> That They're was part. such They're a good pun. Oh my god. That was like how many three puns? Was that a triple pun? A triple pun sandwich. They're a number number three bacon deluxe combo of puns. No, I'm just I'm giddy just, up. Either way. Too. <laughs> but no, I, I love that. I, this show, it it makes me it makes me feel good. Like seeing her, like I got chills when I first saw her play nine to five and like hear it. It's like, ah, oh, I love this show. Such Whole a good moments. show, man. Yeah, it, it's it's great. So uh, what's cool is like the little podium here in the in the hearing. It kind of looks like a big plastic cup, but I, I I'd buy that. By the way, if they made it, I'd buy it. But uh, uh, still, not not crapping on the pop, the props department. I thought this set looked great. And I love the hearing. It seemed legit. Yeah, no, I, I actually thought the exact same thing, Matt. It started making me crave Starbucks. I was like, okay, what what a, what's going on? Why do I want like a frozen latte so bad right now? <laughs> I don't even want to think of a nine to five like Starbucks right now. I want to. No, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. The Mocklins at this point they threaten to leave the union. They see that her speech is working. They're like, "We're not doing this. We will leave the union," which is you know a big step. And uh, we head to commercial, and it's back to the nebula with Bordas, where he notices another vessel. Mm-hmm. It's a large Mocklin vessel, and then Corin says, "Oh man, we really stepped in it today." <laughs> which is like, 
<laughs> yeah, you did, because now uh, there's like a big dispute between the whole unit. It's it's not like a oh I spilled orange juice on the console. Jeez, it's like a oh oh god, there's like a big conflict that might not be. We can't put a bandaid on this. Yeah, no, this one's this. Yeah, he he's had a. They, yeah, it's a rough day for the Orville for sure. Um, I don't think they're getting out of five tonight for sure. <laughs> oh man, I had dinner planned. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, so a channel is opened up, um, and Kelly speaks with the captain Chico. Chico? Chico. Chico. Chico sounds like, you know, too cute. It's Chico. 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 Okay, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> so a channel's opened up, and Kelly speaks with Captain Chico. Um, so, yeah, like, this This is, like, pretty weird, um, because, like, from the get-go, like, the Mocklins have a, a kind of resentment towards women. Um, so it, it's probably kind of strange having to, like, communicate directly in a state where... She is in command of yeah. the vessel right now. They, like, they're not is... viewed as equals, and he has to treat her as such with respect against his own will and his own beliefs. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird situation, really, hey? like, No, it's cool. It's lots of levels. That's that's what I like about a great story is it just makes me think of all the dimensions, this effects, and all the realities of it. And it's just fantastic. We miss it at the, the uh, French-slash-Italian, you know, finger kiss to the air, which is great. <laughs> I think that's what it's called, the old uh, finger kiss to the air. I make that an acronym, the... Uh, uh, FKTA there. Oh, I'm going to start using that in casual conversation. Finger kiss of the air. It's right up there with lol. It'll be on the Hall of Fame. It'll if be guys, in the Webster's Dictionary pretty soon. Hey, if you know, if you, uh, Redenbacher and Bachettes there want to, uh, want to use that in the comment section, then we'd love you more for it. If that's Feel possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make yeah. a hashtag of it. Um, yes. so anyway, uh, yeah. So the Mocklins say that they're there for the same reason to just monitor the situation. Um, the Mocklins, however, do say that Havina is running a child trafficking operation, as well as numerous other accusations. They say today is not the day to fracture alliances, and that they'll need to stand together against the Kalon threat. Um, he also reminds them that the Mocklins supply, like, majority of the Union's weapons, which is really a good point of leverage. Yeah, they say, this is said at the uh, at the hearing still, and it does point out, like, they it does it's all it is very much like any if you watch politics you'll just see someone with like okay these are my talking points i've arranged these words together so that they make your brain see this certain point like i'm going to embellish some things and i'm just going to use gigantic words to make it seem like this is worse than it is or this is a bad thing or whatever i want you to think and it's uh it was smart dialogue and it does show how the mocklins have such a a good foothold in this they've got a good uh bargaining chip in the weapons you know and the defenses they have the weapons and the shields yeah they've got like all of your militarized needs like yeah they can take their ball and go home in this case their balls which is a good pun because they are men with their balls and they have the weapons and the shields giddy up yeah so they do want to take their mocklin balls and go home and uh you know uh, we we then see the admirals have a discussion, which is where you know this was. I saw this picture in promo art of all the admirals together, and I did say on Twitter that this could be a pretty admirable episode because of all the admirals. Uh, sorry, even before the episodes out, I'm making puns about it. But uh, and the admirals speak, including uh, there's one played by Ron Canada, who uh, he's been seen in a few Star Trek episodes, uh, which is kind of cool to have him. Of course, if there's any any admirable any role, they'll find a Star Trek character or a Star Trek actor. They'll source one for sure. They're like, you know, job posting, looking for a Star Trek admiral to be a union admiral. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jump yeah, ships. Yeah, one of the admirals uh, mentions that other cultures can't be judged by human standards, which is a good point, which is like some cultures, I mean, who are we to intervene? However, some things are pretty bad in general. It's definitely true in, in the sense, but I, I think, like, sorry to interrupt, but this was like something that I noticed 
um, like these are union like admirals. These aren't like you know Earth politicians or anything. Yeah. So realistically, it's not by human standards. It's by the union standards, which is significantly important. Like, yeah. is so important, man. They should have a couple aliens in there as well, <laughs> you know, in the just sort of diversity, well. you know. Yeah, like yeah. give us. Yafet's got a silver star. He can't be the most, you know, the best of his people. Maybe, you know. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, you're right. It was great that we did see. I couldn't see it in a couple rewatches, but Ben did uh, find the scene where the you can see Yafet's people there are amongst the crowd. They're not there with the other delegates, though, which is weird. That the uh, I looked it up. They're called the the gel the gelatins or whatever. I think it's their species name. So it's weird that they don't have a place on the council. Yeah, it is actually very unusual that they don't have like a podium of their own or like, yeah, like a council seat. Um, although we only really did see two of them in, in the entire in the yeah. entire meeting. So Probably because of the budget. You have to CGI a lot of blobs. <laughs> That's true. Um, also, but guess... they need like a booster seat and that would be a little embarrassing. Like how would you sit them properly? <laughs> they have to like sit right on the table. It's like at the movie theater when you go get like that awkward like plastic – yeah shelf system kind of it almost looks like yeah. uh yeah <laughs> the plastic shelf system <laughs> you know what i mean like if you go to like no, ikea and you buy like a little dresser for like socks or something like yeah. that <laughs> like that i don't know that sorry guys forget it if you've never been to <laughs> ikea good for you i guess ed says that uh, the union turns a blind eye to these issues because they need the weapons and uh, Admiral Percy says he's crossed the line. He's oversimplifying a complicated situation. Nice to see uh, Ted dancing in the flesh as opposed to over a video screen. Or at least two video screens coming through our video screen <laughs> and then another video screen there. But Yeah, th- yeah. Th- thanks a lot, Ted. Thanks for making it this time, buddy. <laughs> all he did was seem like super pissed off all episode two. His old grizzled vet, uh, uh, Perry, there. And Halsey says this, and I think he summarizes it well. He says, there are no clean options. If we turn our back on the colony, all those women will be rounded up and probably forced to undergo corrective surgery. If we side with the Mocklins, the Kalons come out. After us so it's a it's almost like a lose lose situation it's like a kobayashi maru that's real mm-hmm. you're definitely stuck between a rock and a hard place on that one um yeah it's a huge ethical decision yeah so uh Bordis is having a drink in the mess hall and uh, kelly joins him and asks him what he's going to do if Mockless decides to leave the union uh, he says that he doesn't know he'll he'll have to discuss it and then clyden interrupts and the two have a huge spat and Bordis just unloads on him and says like he notices that uh, Clyden didn't even acknowledge that Kelly was there, and he says that uh, Clyden's never been comfortable around females, and he basically just puts everything on Front Street, says, here's here's everything on my mind. And he says that uh, you don't accept the culture, you just hide away all day. Uh, you know, you're never you're never really embracing these people. No, it's absolutely true. And this, uh, this little spat, um, this seems like something you'd see behind closed doors, and obviously that was kind of what Clyden probably wanted not necessarily that is what Clyde wanted to talk about, but you know he wanted to save that for when they got back to their quarters. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was extremely powerful. And yeah, Bordis was not holding back anything. He wasn't uncomfortable that Kelly was there. He was actually using Kelly as like an example of like equality and like you know, blah 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 blah. blah. Um, but you can tell it made Kelly extremely uncomfortable. And luckily, she gets saved by the bell or the com badge, if I may. Tala alerts Kelly that there's four Mocklin vessels approaching the surface and they're probably heading down to go and, you know, assert their dominance and capture the females there. So Kelly contacts the Mocklin ship and the captain tells her that they're going to make the Mocklin females answer for their crimes and that she's not to interfere. In which case, Kelly tries to contact Union Central and uh, as she's waiting, the Mocklin delegate at the hearing enters Halsey's office and tells him that the colony falls under their jurisdiction and that they're going to handle it themselves. Percy then says that They'll find a diplomatic solution. 
While this is going on, Ed finds a chance to ask uh, Halsey what Kelly and the Orville should do. He tells Ed that the Orville should take no action, although communication inside a nebula can be spotty, which is like a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, you know, do what you gotta do, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I liked in that scene because uh, Ed actually kind of gets like a little upset. He's like, what are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. And he kind of cues in a little bit later, and he's like, yeah. oh, it's been a long day. Like, yeah, sorry, it's been a long day. When I think about it, yeah, I kind of get tired after like what, like anything, basically. But then thinking like, oh, yeah, you're kind of discussing whether or not you guys can survive against the robot threat and whether women should be prosecuted or not. Gotcha. I think, you know, It's yeah, no small potatoes. No, those are massive potatoes. Those but, are like, yeah. That nine to five is really taking a toll on, uh, <laughs> on Slick Ed Mercer there, but uh, yeah, I, I think that his the whole uh, you know just I don't know it's kind of hard to you might lose communication in the nebula that works better than the thirteen button salute less obvious less obvious <laughs> <laughs> yeah the thirteen button salute yeah I, I wonder that if one they, really I wonder if they reworked that since it obviously didn't work and got Marcos killed <laughs> there in the whole <laughs> ship so you think they reworked it uh, maybe make it a, a eleven button salute you know or something even that's not great yeah i think the button salute thing is just it's like the jig's over everyone knows that code now new handbook is going out to all the admirals and captains yeah kelly says that she's gonna head down to the surface her career could be ended so no one should come with her but bordis understands the risk and decides to go down with her and it's time for a good old-fashioned jilliac ass kicking sesh yeah like the, the the duo's back man they're kicking ass taking names they love it yeah well, they're just taking gender, and if you're a male Mocklin, your ass is grass butt, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I this was nice. It was nice. It, it made me. Uh, it reminded me of uh, the Jilliac episode, and all the world was was asked to kick, not birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was a that was fantastic, man. There, there you go. Not a very, you know, wholesome message, but, uh, you know, the, all the world is not ass to kick. I'd like to say that to our viewers that are going to go out with, uh, you know, just kicking the air, hoping for an ass to fall in their place. But, uh, you know. Yeah. So after they go down to the surface uh, or they're on their way to the surface, the, the Mocklins put a tractor beam on the vessel and don't let them escape. So at this point, Tala is she's in command of the Orville. Um, and she says, you know, if like fire on the tractor beam, like on the emitters. Um, Gordon's kind of like, you know, that's an act of war. Like, we can't do that. And Tala's like, you know, um, if Kelly can go ahead and risk her career, like, I can put mine on the on the line. They say, shouldn't you contact Kelly? And she's like, Kelly would never give me that order. So, like, let's go. Like, follow my command. Let's Very go. Great. We're all good guys. We're risking our lives. Hopefully, we don't get our asses fired. And, <laughs> and uh, after all of it, the bridge <laughs> crew is getting replaced on the orbit. Watch the episode just ended. Like Tala, you're fired. Kelly, you're fired. Boris, we'll see you later. And it's like a totally different thing next week. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I was thinking on the rewatch, like it's, they're lucky the Boris didn't get shot by mistake because like he looks just like the male Mocklins and could easily, you know, it was Darko. You never know. No, it's true, man. And you know what? This is what I'd like to say. I think Kelly and, and like, Bordish, they should, man, they should sign up for, like, paintball or something. Man, they take <laughs> on so many people. It's like a yes. 2v, like, 100 and something, man. They're killing it. I love the Mocklin females fighting, too. Like, just seeing there was, like, that one young Mocklin girl who, like, jumped on and, like, tried to fight. It was really impactful. Seeing They were fighting for their lives. It was nice. It, well, not mm-hmm. nice, but, you know, it just, it was really meaningful to watch. It was inspiring, yeah. It was, it was very moving. Um, it reminded me of a... Um, there's there's two Walking Dead connections I can actually make to this episode. One is there's some people that were killed, but it showed them it's like let's not they died, but what what's important is that they fought together and their life and like the lust for living is what connected them and made them fight for it. And that was beautiful in its own way. But one connection I want to make is there's a group in the Walking Dead, uh, someone on the Orville 
official fan unofficial fan page mentioned this and i was thinking of it too is the uh the colony reminds me of oceanside which is a group of all all women that survive and they fight together because uh, all the men were killed not because they're coming to kill them which is a, a bit of a difference but what's cool is oceanside the the people that killed their men and forced them to move to oceanside was a group uh, called the saviors and they live in a place called the sanctuary which is the name of this episode so it's full circle baby. wow yeah. That's really neat. I, I've not watched The Walking Dead or read like any of the comics or played the games or anything. So I'm I'm very, yeah. very, very unfamiliar with ninety nine point nine percent of Yeah, for sure. That, I just wanted but... to drop that reference out there. It's pretty sweet. And that is really cool actually. And for sure like, Negan would not be <laughs> Yeah. Negan would not be allowed at the uh the, the council there. He would not join the union. But uh I digress. Uh as the action scene we forgot to mention, they start and play nine to five right from the top, and it, it's fantastic. I have, it's nice to see Dolly Parton play such a, a heavy role in the crux of this episode. Yeah, you know what? It was actually super cool, and you know, it's kind of like lighthearted. It, it felt lighthearted because like the melody and everything, um, and they're just like kicking ass, man. And like, yeah, it's such a cool song. It's totally just like you know, um, like the females are just like, you know yeah. what? Like, let's do this. Let's go um and yeah it was just it was yeah. perfect actually like i I might go rewatch that scene just for a yeah, third probably. time just to enjoy it i love gonna it grab my gun gonna kick some ass now dude <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. that's the music portion of the evening uh you know <laughs> i'm just waiting for like a battle royale game from the orville now <laughs> yeah battle royaleville <laughs> <laughs> Someone is designing a game out there. I forgot your name, but there is someone uh, on Twitter that I see making a game. Uh, message me, and I'll uh, mention you in the blog. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure – I think it would be a little heavier to do a Orville Battle Royale, but uh, they're all the rage. So go make it happen, Captain. Yeah, uh, the Kalon ship starts to fire on the Orville, and uh, I'm pretty sure they're regretting upgrading their shields and weapons right about now. But uh, – Gordon's got a plan to escape this. He says, uh, if I can take us out of orbit and back into the nebula, the natural EM interference will confuse their targeting scanners, which is really smart, and uh, it worked. It was, it was cool. Yeah, no, it is super cool, actually, because, like, you see when they, like, pull out back into, like, the electromagnetic interference, you see, like, they're just, choom, choom, they're shooting dry shots. Like, they're not hitting anything, I mean, like, um, <laughs> so good for Gordon. It's funny, we uh, we get our notes from uh, springfielduk.com uh, or something like that for, like, the script, if we got to get, like, large chunks of script. But it's really hard in this episode because you'd be going, like, well, I bet I can go through that nebula. And then you like, all you see is, like, lyrics from 9 to 5 interspliced with it because I think it just, like, automatically gets all the audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe it isn't done by people. I'm sure it's probably, like, some kind of, uh, like, algorithm that they the have. The like... are doing that, and they're going to, you know, start with the <laughs> podcast, and then, uh, you know, they'll interfere. They'll, they're getting knowledge. Oh, my God. The hearing continues, and Ed says, uh, this is a great speech. Ed says, Admiral, if I may, Ambassador, the Mocklins uh, and the Krill can't stop the Kalon alone, and you know it. Mocklins would be destroyed, but that little planet inside the nebula might just be insignificant enough to fly under the radar, and if that happens, the only Mocklins left in the galaxy will be female. But hey, you'd still be a single-sex species. And this was just like, hey, you'll get what you want, but there's so much blood, the blood lost, and so much blood will be lost and, and spilled over this that, you know, won't be quite what you signed up for. Yeah, that was a great flex by Ed right there. He was just like, oh. <laughs> and, okay. and it's totally true. I mean, if this colony has gone undetected by anybody, really, um, for who who knows how long this has been going on, they yeah. have, like, what did they say, 6,000 colonists? 6,000 people, so it's got to be a... a like, yeah. like, you know, you don't smuggle, like, a freaking hundred people a day, do you? Like, no. 
You know, this is like a very long thing and you can see that there's different age gaps. So this is like something that's been going on for like a few generations, at least I would assume. Mm. Um, So if they've managed to remain secret from the rest of like the galaxy for so long, I mean, it's not unlikely that they would be kind of like passed over by if the Kalon did invade again, which they will. Yeah, another thing. Imagine how how pissed off the Mothlin are because they think women are inferior, but they'll realize they've been duped for possibly decades by by the female who they feel view as uh, in, inferior. That must just really bring their uh, you know their you know one year's worth of Mothlin piss to a boil. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh my god. No. Yeah. You know. You're absolutely right. Um. Just, yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Just to be like, oh, you know, this is like an inferior, uh, in this case, gender, like, uh, blah, 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 like, you know. But then, wait a minute, they've duped us for, yeah, like you say, it, it had to be a few decades, like, at least. It's just, it's, it's insane. Yeah, so Halsey kind of uh, thinks of an idea, and he says, with the chairperson's permission, I would like to propose a provisional compromise. The chairman says, proceed, Admiral Halsey. And Halsey says, these are the terms I suggest. The, the Union agrees not to recognize the sovereignty of the colony at this time, and the colonists agree to end their clandestine immigration network, effective immediately. In exchange, the Mockland government shall agree to leave the colonists in peace and take no further action against their, them now or in the future. So it, it's resolved. It's a compromise. No one gets exactly what they want, but they have enough to keep going on where they have to stop doing the underground railroad there. But they won't separate from the union and they won't be uh, the colony won't be attacked. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I mean, obviously this isn't the ideal compromise um, that I would have liked to have seen. Um, But I mean, a compromise nonetheless, like they've been, you know, they've been given that reassurance and that peace of mind that they can continue um, their way of life and blah, 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 and go unharmed. Um, and I guess it's it's good for it's like the Mocklins, like the male Mocklins, because um, they didn't get their sovereignty into the Union. So, like, I mean, it's definitely like a touchy one. Like, no one's really happy. But I think the winner of this are like the female Mocklins. Like, I think they got out, not getting exactly what they sought out for. But I mean, they have safety and isn't you know that like they made a up some huge ground sure. thing. Yeah. But what will be hard is when they hear of other Mocklin females that are forced to switch genders or who knows what else. So that is terrible. That is like, hey, your study's not going to grow. One question I also have is, can the females breed together or is it just the males that can breed together? You know, I was thinking that as well, actually. Um, Like, yeah, we need some answers for that one. If if you guys want to leave some comments and, you know, your, like, ideas about that, like, I'd be interested to hear about it. Always happy to hear from you guys and your thoughts. It was really cool hearing from people on in the YouTube comment section and Twitter uh, and on Facebook. It's great. Yeah, XO, love you guys. <laughs> yeah. So we see that the the fighting is still going on on the uh, the unidentified planet there, and we see uh, a Mocklin is running off with a young girl, and uh, Bordis runs over and saves her and just beats the crap out of this guy. And it was cool for this little girl to see that, like, not all Mocklin men are garbage, you know? And that was a nice little moment where she's, you know what, there are good people that, you know, have escaped the grasp of the culture and grown beyond it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and Bordis has, like, really... And it, I didn't even realize it until this episode, but Bordis is... He's very progressive, and he's learned a lot. And, like, he, he's very different than probably... He's progressive for a Mocklin. Yeah, for a Mocklin, sorry, yes. Like, he's not, you know... 
yeah. super liberal, but uh, yeah. Yeah. he's he, definitely questioned his beliefs and he's definitely reassessed what he believes to be true. He's learning. He's taking the cultural enrichment that he gains from the being on the Orville and becomes a better person, whereas Clyden just cuts himself off from it and is isolated. Absolutely, yeah. The conflict ends when uh, Amoklin announces that an agreement has been made. Uh, I guess the word travels quite fast through the, through, uh, the galaxy. And uh, the conflict ends and peace is, uh, the colony sees peace once again. At this point, like after they just like announced that the agreement has been made, I was actually surprised to see how quick like the male Mocklin stood down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Like in that like moment um, when you're like rampaging like a, a village or whatever, I don't know. Like if you were to look in like, you know, Earth's history, I feel like I think that, you know, I don't know, just continue really like. The... Yeah, but following orders, they know not to step outside of Mockless. Like their culture is telling like, all right, if my boss made, made an agreement, then uh, I know that he did the right thing. So we'll step down, I guess. Later on, we go to uh, Havina's home and Ed apologizes to her. But she's saying she's positive that she gained more than she lost and that her actions inspired others, which is true. I mean, hearing about this hearing, you know, and not to mention they have Dolly Parton so they can weaponize her fantastic music, too. <laughs> like we say, like she didn't get the result that she was originally looking for, but she's made a huge impact. And I mean, this is not going to go unnoticed. Um She's raised up quite a shitstorm for the Mocklin people to consider. And I mean, their culture is very, very like, like firm, uh, like they're not going to probably, but I mean, just to hear about all that, you know, it, it's good to, I guess, to have that in like the minds of like the average Mocklin, because maybe it'll slowly change and maybe they'll be a little bit more accepting of other things. Who knows? Um, yeah. I want to say that, uh, Rena Owen, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She did a great job as Avina. Like Avina is a badass character. I hope we get to see her again. And I think she should get a special role, like on the council or, uh, you know, with the union because she has a unique point of view. Absolutely, um, very well spoken as well. Like, yeah, I, I'd like to see her somewhere in like the union podium there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what's cool is I saw on uh, IMDb that uh, one of the Mocklin ambassadors is played by Tony Todd, who played uh, Kern on Star Trek The Next Generation, as well as uh, he was on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and uh, he played an elderly Jake Sisko in a season four episode of DS9. So there you go. Oh, is that the one Jake uh, visits himself from the future or whatever? I wouldn't know. <laughs> but probably, probably. And what's cool Super is also... Cool. IMDB uh, pointed out that this is the first episode without Jay Lee in it, which sucks. But uh, yeah, that's no Lamar. It's the only episode of the Orville without Lamar in it. Yeah. Oh my God. I just noticed that. Oh my God. Yeah. I wonder what Jay Lee's doing. Do you think he's doing like a side project or? I don't know. I just think uh, maybe this episode was a little too busy, but uh, hopefully he gets more of a role next season and in the next two episodes. But, uh, you know, if. I was dating against Turco. I wouldn't be showing up for work either, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, this this was this was great. And uh, at the end, as uh, Havina is still talking to Ed, uh, Ed, she goes, "Ed, do you suppose Dolly Parton would be proud of us?" And Ed goes, "Oh yeah." And he gives this uh, white ass smirk, and it was great. Like they made Dolly proud. I, I bet Dolly Parton in real life watched that and was like, "Oh yeah, oh, that was a good episode. I like that. I like that my words were being used in such a positive, changing way." <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, you go, Dolly, changing the world one song at a time. Exactly. What a doll. 
And uh, we later see uh, Bordis, uh, for the last little shot of the episode, Bordis is watching Topa and he's playing nicely with the young girl and uh, a smile stretches across his face from ridge to ridge. And it's yeah. it's just beautiful. No, it, it was a nice ending. Like, you know what? We've all moved forward today. And Topa, even if, you know, they free those women. And also he made he made large scale change and small scale change. It was a good, good day for Bordis. Yeah, absolutely. I actually very much loved that scene. Um, he just kind of pops into class for a minute and just like looks and yeah, Topa's, you know, like Topa's definitely learned from this entire thing. And, and maybe Topa isn't going to be as um, as bigoted, I guess, as as his father, Clyden, will. You know what? I bet it was actually just Cassius's fault. Cassius is such a bad teacher. He just left the ship probably because he knew that uh, his teachings were t- so terrible and he ruined Topa. You know what? Uh, Kelly, I, I, I requested a transfer. Oh, yeah? Thank you. Yeah, I screwed up too many kids. Topa's <laughs> just... Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, here, I mentioned this to you off-air, but uh, I've got a theory about Boris. I think that he might have actually been born female. And he hasn't really, like... He, I don't think he knows it, but he hasn't, like... He wouldn't be able to come to terms with it. Like, the Mocklin ideology, that's what his, like, reality is based on. And I think that telling that to him might either change him radically or I don't know if he'd be able to deal with that. Maybe at some point that will be revealed and he'll live. We'll just see him live with that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, you did say Bordis, though, not Clyden. No, Bordis. I'm in Bordis. Oh, okay. Cly- Clyden hmm. could be. I don't know for sure. I'll have to go back and watch about a girl. But I think that'd be, uh, that it's possible for Bordis. Oh, yeah. I was thinking it'd be kind of uh, interesting if that was the case with Clyden, actually, because then Clyden would have to kind of um reassess and well, I th- that's why i thought that, that he did do that and that's with that dialogue earlier i thought that he had gone through that and even then he still sees the he still is siding with the with the mocklands right not to uh hmm. rail there but yeah that's just my thought no yeah absolutely um let us know if we're wrong and uh you know it has been confirmed that uh, Clyden was born a female either way we'd love to hear from you guys anything else you have to bring up um Hmm. No, I guess not. I mean, really, just this episode was it was brilliant. You know, it taught like tolerance and acceptance, and and you know, it had like a a strong female lead role, like going on through it. Like we always see Kelly doing excellent, but um, Havina such a brilliant role in this episode. Um, It was empowering. I loved. I loved it. I think they did a great job, and uh, it was it was told in a way where they showed the Mocklin's view in a way that you're like, okay, I can see why they would see it that way. And that's what makes the whole thing more intense and makes the issue even more uh, more of a dilemma when it's so well-written and you can see everyone's point of view. Absolutely. Uh, another thing, I guess, is like, Bordis may be like the first male feminist Mocklin ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, yeah. No, that's true. But uh, that's all I've got to say. Likewise. From the Croxville Defibic sector, for Ben Bullwell, this is Matt Murphy, signing off. Mm-hmm.